0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to read to you from the book of Ecclesiastes. In your Schofield Bibles, you turn to page 703. If you don't have a Schofield Bible, please try to find Ecclesiastes in the next 30 or 40 minutes, if you can. Now I'm going to read tonight from chapter 10 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and this little book is a strange kind of book. It is believed that Solomon wrote the songs of Solomon, song of Solomon, in his youth. It's a song of love. It is believed that perhaps he wrote the Proverbs, this great gathering of wise sayings in his maturity. And in his older age, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. It also is an accumulation, a gathering. When you read the word preacher in the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word for preacher there means gatherer, gatherer, of Proverbs, and that's what this little book is. It is a book of very wise sayings, and I want to read from chapter 10 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and I always feel good when I know God's people are looking with me upon the Bible. I thank God tonight for the Bible. More than ever before in my life, I thank God for the Bible. I thank God tonight we have a perfect Bible, and an impeccable Bible, and an authoritative Bible. I love the Bible. I thank God for His Word. And I want us to look upon it tonight, and may the Holy Spirit of God bless our hearts as we look at it together. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking Savior. Savor. so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Yea, also when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to every one that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses, and princes walking... As servants upon the earth, he that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. Whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith. And he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put two more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow up himself. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be, that is, what he might say, and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? The labor of the foolish weareth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Walk to thee, old land, when thy king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season. For strength and not for drunkenness. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Curse not the king, no, not in thy fault, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Now, I'm going to take one of these tremendous sayings from this part of the Word of God in a moment for our text that I believe that God has laid upon our heart for the night. You know, we preachers preach not just on Sunday, but we preach many, many times a week. I've had the experience of going to the Bible to look for a sermon. Sometimes I've hunted and hunted and hunted and prayed and prayed and prayed, but it seemed that no sermon would come. But it's been my experience that the best way in the world for a preacher to get a sermon from the Bible is to read the Bible looking for food for his own soul. And hundreds and hundreds of times In the nearly 47 years I've been preaching,
1: I've been reading the Bible with a hungry heart,
0: and I've had God take some verse out of the Bible and feed my soul and set my spirit on fire. And then I say to myself, that's what I want to preach to my people. God lets me live till this coming October. I will have been preaching in Emanuel Baptist Church for 40 years. And during those 40 years, we've tried to do just that thing. Look at the Bible and get something for the preacher's heart and the preacher's soul and the preacher's spirit. And that's what the people need. I was reading this wonderful part of the Scriptures some years ago. And I read verse 10, if the iron be blunt, and he do not whet the edge or sharpen the edge, then must he put two more strength? But wisdom is profitable to direct. And I got to thinking about chopping with a dull axe. And that's what I want to speak to you about tonight. You've already gathered that I'm a country preacher. Brother Dollar's a city preacher. We try to have both kinds. I was, I was raised on a farm down in North Alabama. I preach a lot in Michigan and new places, and I still have my southern accent. Not long ago, I was preaching. Some lady sitting down on the front, I could hardly hear, her, but I could read her lips. She said, He ain't no Yankee. And I really ain't. I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, raised in North Alabama. I went to school in Tennessee, and I was married in Ohio. And I've been preaching in Michigan ever since. Every day I say, Lord, this is far enough, Let's don't go any further. I told you when you get my age, you know, things just go through your mind like covers of birds. You just reach out and grab them all the time. You never know what you have till you look at it. So that just went by, and I grabbed it while it was going by. I well remember on the farm my wonderful grandfather. He was a tremendous man before he was saved. He was saved. The first revival I ever held. He and my grandmother lived to be 91 and a half years of age. They kept telling us down on the farm if you eat pork, it'll kill you. Sure enough, it did. It killed both of them. They were. I wish these birds had quit going through my mind. They were in their 72nd wedding year when the first one died. I'm in the ministry today because of the discipline and uh, correction and direction my grandfather gave me. I was raised on a farm, and you know, on the farm you do, you have running water, but it's running about 100 yards from the house, and you have to go get it. And our fuel was wood. You had to cut it. And you cut it with an axe and a saw. And well do I remember the experience of the old-fashioned grindstone. My father was very, grandfather was very adept at holding the axe a certain way and having me turn the grindstone to sharpen the axe. Before he would ever go to the woods to work, and never go to chop wood. He was careful to see that his ax was sharp and the saw was sharp. Because he had sense enough to know you can cut more wood with a sharp axe than you can a dull axe. And that's what the Bible's talking about. If the iron be blunt, And he whacked not the edge. He must put more labor to it. And I learned as a boy that sharpening your tools is not wasted time, it is time well spent. And I learned that when the tools are sharp, as the tools of a workman ought to be, it's much easier to do the job and to do it right. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about sharpening our tools that God has given us in the service of the Lord. You know, I thank God tonight this Bible has all the answers that you and I need. This is a book that not only raises questions, but comes forth, thank God, with the answer. I flew down to New Mexico two or three years ago, and uh, I was sitting down there waiting to preach at a fellowship meeting, and was a very young preacher, I don't even remember his name, got up to preach. And you know, there's no such thing to me as little preachers and big preachers. Amen. There's such things to me as preachers that preach the Bible, and preachers who don't. Amen. But a young preacher got up and he said, Now, I'm embarrassed, he said. Here sits Dr. Malone, had all these years of experience. And he said, I'm embarrassed to preach. And I was hoping he wouldn't be. And he began to preach. And he quoted a tremendous verse from the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then the young preacher said, this tells me what is right, the doctrine. He said, the Bible tells me what's not right. That's the reproof. He said, the Bible tells me how to get it right. That's the instruction. And he said, the Bible tells me how to keep it right. And I said, thank God, preacher. You was not scared to say that. Amen. Let me tell you, friend, the answer is in this Bible tonight. And it's unbelievable how little preaching of the Bible that's going on in America tonight. There's everything else being preached. I sometimes go to places to preach, and the meetings have already been in progress. And I asked the ones that picked me up at the airport, what did so-and-so preach on last night? I asked that about Dr. Hudson one time. They told me exactly what he preached and smiled when they said it because they enjoyed it. What did so-and-so preach on? I don't remember. I want to tell you tonight, God has the answer for every need in your life tonight in this blessed book. And we have a job to do. I'll tell you, were it not for the power of God tonight, when I think about the responsibility that God has given to you and I as the people of God in this generation, I would absolutely, I think, die of fright tonight.
1: When I think of that tremendous
0: responsibility, were it not for the power of God, Jesus said go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've told you. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and God gives to the succeeding generations, that responsibility. You and I tonight, as a part of the born-again Church of Jesus Christ, have been given the responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What an inhuman task that is. And I want to tell you, my friend, it will never be done with a dull axe. You know, the Lord has given to us individually tonight the tremendous responsibility of being a Christ-like Christian, those whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And the whole purpose of God in you and I tonight is not to just get us to heaven, but as to make us like Jesus Christ. And some glorious, wonderful day... We shall see him, thank God, and be like him at last. But I want to tell you, my friend, you and I will never be Christ-like, chopping with a dull axe. If the iron be blunt and he wet not the edge, this book says he must put more strength and more power to it. We need tonight the tools that are set forth in the Word of God for a workman. How helpless is the doctor to bring about healing without his instruments? You take the tools away from the mason, he can build no wall. You rob the carpenter of his tools, and he can make no cabinets. And I'm saying to you tonight that without the tools God has described in this book, you and I can never do the job that God has called us to do. You know, there's some wonderful illustrations. In the Bible, I think of that Bible college, maybe the first one you will ever read about in the days of Elijah and Elisha. One day the student said to Elisha, The place, the dormitory, only it doesn't say dormitory in the Bible. The dormitory is too small. Let everyone take an axe and fell a beam, and let everyone bring a piece of wood and build a dormitory for these sons of the prophets. You know the familiar story? They went down to the Jordan and began to chop the trees for the purpose of building housing for the sons of the prophets, these young preachers, to sit at the feet of a great man, Elijah, and learned. One young man all of a sudden cried out to Elisha and said, My axe head has fallen into the water. And he said, The thing that makes it even worse is it's borrowed. It doesn't even belong to me. You know the story? Elisha took a limb of a tree, and a miracle was performed. And the axe head began to swim. And he got it back and begin to use it again. But you know, if I'd been a lot of preachers and a lot of Christian workers, when the axe head fell off, he would have just kept on whacking away with the axe handle. Because it makes a lot more noise than a sharp axe does. But it doesn't cut near as much wood. You and I tonight face the danger of making a lot of noise and being very active, but never cutting much wood for Jesus Christ. It takes a sharp ax to do it like God wants it done. I read one of the most pitiful stories in the Bible. It wasn't very pitiful to me, and it didn't touch my heart until I began to think along these lines. Saul had so sinned against God until the Spirit of God had left him. This great giant of a man, Israel's first king. One day Samuel said to him, The kingdom will be stripped from you because you failed and you've sinned and you've presumed against God. I read of the Philistines. They represent the world. They divided themselves into three tremendous companies. And here's this man who's just been told the kingdom is no longer yours. And they come at him from three different directions. These hordes of heathen soldiers, these armies of the Philistines. That's bad enough, but let me read you one of the saddest things. And it's a description of many People, in the Lord's work today, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19, But there was no smith, that is, blacksmith, that is, one who sharpens the instruments. There was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. Lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But now listen to it. All the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share in his coulter, that is, his plow point and his axe and his mattock. You see, here was a picture of God's people with dull instruments and no way to sharpen them. And they must go to the heathen, to the world, to get them sharpened. I don't believe God wants that. I'm a firm believer tonight in the fact that God has given to me and to you every tool that we need to do the work of God. Oh, I I want to use everything I can for the Lord, every legitimate tool he can possibly use. But I want to tell you, the electronic church alone will not do the work God wants done. There's still the personal touch and the heart of love and the tears of weeping that must be involved in the work of God. I'm on the mailing list of several of these computerized organizations, and at least two of them have never gotten my name right yet. That's how personal it is. No, it takes more than that. There was no one to sharpen the tools, and they went to the world. You know, I think of the fact that God's Word sharpens our prayer life. And that's the reason I mentioned Dr. Rice tonight. You know, that man talked about prayer in these conferences. Many a person was led to deepen their prayer life listening to John R. Rice. That's what this Bible teaches us. That the Word of God sharpens our prayer life. And I want to say to you tonight you can have all the education in the world. You may be what some folks call capable and talented. You may have tremendous ability, but you'll never go any further for God than you go upon your knees. The prayer life of God's people cannot cannot possibly be overemphasized. Jesus said if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over and continue on side two. I'm preaching to people tonight that have an unsolved problem and have a desire in their heart and life and have some complex situation that mankind has no answer for. But God does. I was preaching one morning in our chapel program on Second Chronicles seven fourteen. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face and pray. Then will I hear from heaven and heal their land, and forgive their sin. But the verse before that said Something about if you don't obey God, the heavens shall be shut up over you. The young man came weeping after the chapel service was dismissed. And he said, Preacher, I want to tell you that this morning you described my prayer life. He said, I feel like when I pray that the heavens over me are brass and God is not answering my prayer." Oh, let me tell you, my friend, if in this holy week set aside for the preaching of the Word of God and the fellowship of God's people, you could be led to believe that prayer opens the windows of heaven and moves the mighty arm of God to do what the preacher called the impossible tonight. Oh, let me say to you, we need to get back to the old-fashioned Christian practice of what the early believers called the morning watch. When the child of God dare not go and face the world or his business or the whirling wheels of the city until they first of all have been alone with the Bible and with God. Now I want to say to you tonight, if you do not have that morning watch in your life where you let God talk to you, somebody said to me, Preacher, how much of the Bible do you read every day? Read it until God says something to you, and then you will want to say something to God. The two go together, and you cannot possibly separate them. I had a glorious experience in my church a couple of years ago. I began to think about what would happen if if some people had asked some of my folks certain questions. Suppose. Someone would ask the people of my church, "We've never taught anything but the Bible. Been our curriculum." As people here have spent years in our church, and they will tell you tonight, never been anything preached in a Baptist church but the Bible. I've told the Lord with all the earnestness of my soul, if I ever preach anything, I'd rather my lips be closed in doubt than to ever preach anything. That's not according to the book of God. But I begin to think about my people, been listening to the Bible. Or I've seen a whole generation of Christians in our church in these nearly 40 years go to heaven. But I begin to think about those people, and if somebody would say to them, Do you know that you have the Holy Spirit in your life? What would they say? If someone would say to them, Do you know tonight that you've been baptized? with the Holy Ghost, what would they say? I know what I'd say. I think you would too. I'd say, yes, sirree, on the day of Pentecost, I was baptized by the Holy Ghost into the glorious body of Christ. And it's a historical thing that's happened to every single child of God. I said, what if someone would ask these people, will the Holy Spirit under any circumstance ever leave a Christian? What would they say? And I want to tell you, it drove me to my knees. And for 14 weeks in our church, we preached every Wednesday night on the blessed Holy Spirit of God. And the folks of the church came to me, many of them, and said, Preacher, we believe this has been the greatest three and a half months in the history of our church as God has spoken to our hearts about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. During that time, God put upon my heart two verses I've read like I know you have hundreds of times, but it never meant so much to me as it did during that time and since. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 and 27, but the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but He maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the heart, hearts, knoweth the mind of the Spirit, and maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. And God broke that wonderful truth on my heart that when I get down to pray, And if I do not even know exactly how I ought to pray, the blessed Holy Spirit who dwells in this temple of mine takes my prayer and words it correctly to the Father above. We need to remember tonight that the Holy Spirit in you is interested in helping you to pray. Oh, how God answers prayer. I've told it a good many times, but it's a big thing with me. I was called to preach in 1935. The Lord lets me live another few days. I will have been preaching four to seven years. Oh, a little better than 20 years ago, I think it's been. I had two operations on my throat. I was told by a doctor, you'll never preach again. He was a Christian man. He was the expert in his field. He said to me, now, Tom, I want you to go home. I know this is hard for you. Go home and make your plans. You're never going to preach anymore. You're not going to be able to. I'll tell you, friends, if he had hit me between my eyes with a chopping axe, it wouldn't have startled me anymore. I got in my car in downtown Detroit, drove out to Pontiac, where I've lived in the same house for 33 or 34 years. I walked in the house weeping. I made my wife understand as best I could what the doctor said to me. And my sweet wife, she put her arms around me and she said, Tom, you and I know a doctor that can heal anything. And we didn't get down on our knees, but we got as we've been many times, down prostrate on the floor on our faces and poured out our hearts to God. A few days after that, I began to take the Bible and preach. And I've been going up and down the country ever since preaching eight and ten and twelve times a week. I'm telling you tonight,
1: God can hear your prayers
0: if you'll get where the windows are open. The Word of God sharpens our prayer life. It's just about a forgotten thing. But the Holy Spirit sharpens our soul winning. Acts one eight, Jesus said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Acts 4.31, And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were gathered together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And listened to it and spake the word of God with boldness. I'm saying to you tonight, that's the reason many a Christian is not a soul-winner is because he doesn't let the Spirit of God control his life. The Holy Spirit of God sharpens your soul-winning. We were talking a little while ago about Carl Hatch. I guess most of you know Carl Hatch. He's an unusual soul-winner. He does things sometimes scare me to death. I preached it up in Richmond, Indiana one night and just had to get back home that night. The only way I could was... Go from Richmond, Indiana, down to the, Indiana, uh, the Cincinnati Airport. About a two-hour drive, I think. Fellow that's taken me he said, you, "You ever meet Carl Hatch?" Of course, I met Carl. Carl, Carl is a dropout from our school. That's reason he's such a success. He, he went to Midwestern Baptist College. He said uh, he was in our church not long ago, and he said I went went out to win people to the Lord with him. Said went soul winning. He said that we'd knock on doors and nobody let us in. We weren't getting anywhere. And he said, I was ready to give up. I, I was in that place where Christians get a lot of times where you say, Well, now, Lord, I've done all I can do and I'm, I'm going to quit. And I've done the best I could and haven't gotten anywhere. But he said, Oh, Carl got out in the middle of the street. Cars was coming, and he got out in the middle of the street and flagged a fellow, had him stop. This fellow said, scared me to death. I couldn't imagine him flagging down a total stranger, driving down the street. And he said the fellow saw him waving his hands, waved him down, said he pulled over to the curb. Said I saw Carl go up to the window and talk to him a little bit. Then he said, I saw Carl take hold of the handle of the door, open the door and got in and sat down. Said by that time I got enough courage enough to go up and see what was going on said, when I got up to the window, the fellow was sitting there at the steering wheel and the big tears rolling down his cheeks, and Carl had his New Testament leading him to the Lord. After the fellow got saved, he said, this is the most unbelievable thing that I've ever had happen to me. He said, you know, a preacher talking to Carl Hatch, he said, my wife's sister died down in Kentucky. Now, this would have been up in Richmond, Indiana. And he said, tomorrow... I'd take my wife and all my family, get in the car and drive from Richmond, Indiana, down into Kentucky. And he said, I've been driving for years. But he said, I've been frightened to death of making a trip, getting out on the highways. He said, I was afraid some of us would get killed, maybe me. And he was weeping and he said, thank the Lord now if something happens to me, I'd go to heaven. I was sitting in that car that night, and that fellow told me that. And I said, oh, God, give us more Carl Hatches. I want to tell you, my friends, we need a revival tonight of getting back to this old-fashioned, one-on-one, soul winning business. Jesus Christ never fished with a big saying. Nineteen times in this New Testament, he dropped one line in. And one-on-one, on one, 19 times, he won somebody to Jesus Christ. Years ago, our folks went out and won a fellow to the Lord. Some of you folks here tonight that know him. He went through our schools, out preaching the gospel out in the St. Louis area. Has been for years. name was Wilfred Robinson. Wilfred Robinson was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. Our folks came upon his home one night, went in and led him to the Lord. And he came and got saved. He lived in a certain house on I believe it's called Michigan Michigan Avenue in Pontiac, Michigan. Years and years went by. One night, one day, I got the message to come go see a man in his home on Michigan Avenue. The fellow's name was Jim Reed. I went to home that night and they said, Now, preacher, this man is a drunk, uses bad language, and no telling what he'll say to you. You know, a lot of folks want to see what'll happen when the immovable is hit by the unstoppable, so they send preachers everywhere, you know. And they said, They don't know what he'll say to you. But I went that night to that home, and this man, bleary-eyed, came to the door, and I found out the pitiful story. His wife had left him. The children were gone. They'd been gone for two weeks. he drunk his whole family down the drain. There he sat that night, a broken human being, and uh, I got him down on his knees, and I was trying to get him to pray what we call the sinner's prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He was weeping, he was trembling, he was under conviction, but he wouldn't pray. And I was about ready to give up, and the thought occurred to me, I had an address, that address in my pocket, and I remembered that was the same home. That Wilford Robinson lived in for years. And one night a couple from our church went to his home and led Wilford Robinson to the Lord. And I took courage and I said, Lord, right in this house. Yes, in this room. And maybe where Jim Reed is kneeling right now. You saved another drunk by the name of Wilford Robinson. And if you did it once, you can do it again. And in a minute I heard him sob and cry. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Next Sunday morning, old Jim Reed walked down the aisles of our church and was saved. And about two weeks later, he came down it again, leading his family. I'm saying to you tonight that the Holy Spirit of God wants to sharpen our soul-winning tools. You know, personal holiness sharpens our testimony. There's no substitute for that. It's a forgotten thing almost in the minister today. I remember the wonderful story of the Shunammite woman. She saw a man of God go up and down the roads, and one day she said to her husband, I perceive that that is a holy man of God. She could see it. You're talking about seeing things? Holiness is visible. When it's lived in a transformed life, she said, I perceive that that man is a holy man of God. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlettered and ignorant men, they knew they'd been with Jesus. Let me tell you, there's no substitute part. A lot of preachers are trying to build a ministry without personal holiness, and a lot of parents are trying to build a home and a family without personal holiness, and there is no substitute for personal holiness. Personal holiness sharpens our testimony. I read of a preacher went to a place to preach sitting on the front row, was a girl, had her Bible every night and came every service and looked just as miserable as she could be. He wondered about her. She made an indelible impression upon his mind. One year later, the preacher went back to preach in that same church again. And there sat the same young lady, this time with her Bible, yes, but this time with a radiance upon her face and a happiness that showed and was evident to anybody that looked at her. He went down one night and said to her after the service, said, young lady, I hope you'll not think I'm too personal. But I want to ask you a question. A year ago I came here. You sit there with your Bible every night, and you look as miserable as you could be. And a year later I come back, you have a sweet peace in your heart that shows on your face and a radiant glow for Jesus. And I want to ask you, what's made the change in your life? The young lady said, Preacher, I don't mind telling you. I have a dear friend, a girlfriend. She received an honor that I wanted. And I, I didn't get it, but she got it. And I became jealous and envious and even harbored hatred in my heart against her. He, she said, then one night when the Spirit of God convicted me in my room, I got down on my knees and I asked the Lord to take all the rancor and the hatred and the jealousy and the bitterness out of my heart. And she said the sweet tune came back. And the happiness and peace came back. And let me tell you tonight, there's a many a fundamental Bible-believing Christian in our churches tonight who's not right with God. And there's a many a fundamentalist whose heart is filled with hatred. I want to tell you, friend, you cannot be for God what God wants you to be without personal holiness. I like that instant about Elisha and that Shunammite woman. She said to her husband, that's the way it ought to be. I think she had heard Dr. Rice probably preach on the home. The man was the head of the home. And she said to her husband, I perceive this man is the holy man of God. Let's build a little chamber on the wall. You know, I'm delighted about that little prophet's chamber. That's where the Word got started. She said, let's put a bed in it and a table in it. And let's put a stool in it, and let's put a candlestick in it. And you know, if you think about it tonight, that was God supplying everything that man of God needed, that bed to rest himself. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Oh, there's no rest in this world like the rest Jesus gives to the believing heart. Listen, you can have money to buy a queen-size bed, but it won't buy sleep. You can have money to buy a steak, but you can't buy an appetite. I'm saying to you tonight, this sweet rest only comes from God. That uh, that little room had a table in it. And that table had a purpose also. That table was for fellowship. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 23, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Oh, don't you like to come to the Lord's table? Don't you like to sit down and fellowship at the table of the Lord? The little stool had a purpose. It was for learning. I believe God wants every one of us to be like Mary, to sit at his feet and learn the candlestick. Had to do with his testimony. You know, God has everything in this world. You and I need tonight to do the job. We don't have to go to the Philistines. God has it all for us. You know, love sharpens our fellowship. You're going to some of you're going to say, "Now, preacher, you're meddling." Now, no, I'm not. I believe we need a revival that calls God's people to love one another again. I don't go for all this name-calling business. I don't go for all this business people, uh, under the pretense of defending the faith, they've and malign everybody that doesn't agree with them. This Bible says we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. If a man say he loves God and hated his brother, He is in darkness and is a liar. And how can he love God whom he hath not seen if he loved not his brother whom he hath seen? You know, I learned a long time ago, you're going to have to love people whether you agree with them or not, if they're God's people. You better learn. You'll suffer if you don't. I remember years ago, you know, in nearly 40 years, we've had some had some periods that you might call trouble in the church. I I never could understand it. Anybody as sweet and nice and humble, kind and lovable as I am, I don't know why I'd ever have trouble in the church, but we have had a few times. Now, I remember one time, I tell you, it got hot. I don't know whether any of the people here tonight remember it or not. But people who'd come to my home and they'd break out our windows and One night, put a bullet hole through the picture window in my living room. One night, they threw some object and broke a window where my youngest little daughter was sleeping right nearby. They broke enough eggs on our house. I said to my wife one day, and we said, trying try to wash the eggs off the house. And eggs don't wash off a brick easily. I said, if we hadn't, honey, if we had these eggs that these folks had broken on our house, we wouldn't need to buy another egg till the Lord comes. One day, God laid upon my heart to preach to our church a series of sermons on the subject of prayer. Now I was in the midst of this this day, Now I was about to preach on prayer, and it seemed like the Lord said to me, Now, if you're going to preach on prayer, you start where the Bible starts. I took the New Testament and the Concordance, and I began to look. That the word prayer and praying and prayed and so forth. Every time it's found in the New Testament. And the first time I found it in Matthew chapter 5, I think verse 44, said, pray for those who despitefully use you. I closed my Bible and I said, now, Lord, you mean the folks that shot my window out? You mean the folks that broke all those eggs all over my house? Night after night, you mean the ones that broke a window right where my little baby girl was sleeping? Now, the Lord never has spoken to me out loud, and he never has to oral Roberts either. But the Lord seemed to say to me, yes, that's what I mean. And that was a glorious moment in my life, with my heart literally bleeding. I got down on my knees, and I began to call their names. And I began to ask the Lord, now, Lord, you forgive them. You help them. God, you bless them. You take care of them. The Lord said to me, if you want to preach on prayer, start prayer, I'll start, in the Bible. Pray for those who despitefully use you. I got down on my knees and I wept over my enemies and I prayed for them. And a new day was born in my life. I want to say to you tonight that personal holiness will sharp your testimony. Love sharpens Your fellowship, well, I'm through. We need tonight to come to the grindstone, the great whetstone, and have God sharpen our instruments that we may be usable for him. Now let us pray. Now, my Father, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus, and I ask you, O Holy Spirit of God, to do something for us. Everybody talks about the problems we have, but you're the only one that has a solution. Lord, we pray that we'll listen to you tonight. Oh, we pray that our hearts will be so moved by the Spirit of God. We'll want our tools sharpened to do a work for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray tonight you'll encourage us I thank you for the great message tonight on faith and the encouragement it brought. I pray you'll encourage the discouraged. I pray you'll strengthen the feeble. I pray you'll awaken those who are spiritually asleep. Lord Jesus, do a work in our hearts tonight. We pray in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.